Well, again, my name is Scott Johnson. I'm the pastor here at Calvary La Junta. In case you're new and you don't know me, it's so good to have everybody here on this first day of Advent. And uh, I'm excited for what the Lord has for us this morning. Um, it's an interesting message that we have. I, I don't know about you, but but I love this time of year. I really do love this time of year. As I was growing up in our family, Christmas time was a big deal in our house. Uh, I, and I love the book of Isaiah. And I know that that song that we just sang is very, very slow. And I looked for many, many versions of that song. And that was about the fastest version of that song I could find that was online. So, but it's a, it's, I think it's slow on purpose because it's, it's so contemplative as to what our Lord did for us. So this year, our Advent series is going to take us through parts of Isaiah. Some of the parts that we're going to go through are going to be very familiar to people, and, uh, and some might not be as familiar. We're going to look at Isaiah chapter 7, 9, 11, and then we're also going to look at um, a combination of 52 and 53. Today our passage is Isaiah 7, 10 through 14. And before we get to our passage this morning, we need to have some background information to help us understand what was actually happening when Isaiah wrote these words. Now we have mentioned the fall in Genesis 3 many, many times in our church, and so we're very familiar with what happened between Adam and Eve and the serpent and how they disobeyed the Lord and ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil when they were told not to. But as a reminder, let's read what the Lord said to them about bringing a Savior in Genesis 3.15. Genesis 3.15, if you want to open your Bibles to that passage, if you have a Bible. If not, there are Bibles in front of you in the pews, and if you do not have a Bible, you are welcome to take one of those Bibles home with you. He says, God says this in Genesis 3, 15. He says, I will put an enmity or an enemy between you and the woman, Eve. He's talking to the serpent right now. And between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And since that time and throughout the Old Testament, the people of Israel have been looking for who my Old Testament professor and I love how he puts this. His name is Russ Meek. He's awesome. Uh, he puts him, he calls this Jesus the, the head crusher, or in this case, the head bruiser. So I'm going to be referring to the head crusher a lot in our message. So the people of Israel, they looked, and, and even it wasn't Adam, and it wasn't Abel, it wasn't Noah, and it wasn't Abraham, it wasn't Joseph, and it even wasn't David. None of them were the head crusher, and they continue to look. But even then, even though it isn't David, at that point, God made a promise to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, which is really, really important for us to understand. And during that time, David wanted to build the Lord a home. He wanted to build him the temple, a house to live in. But the Lord didn't want David to build him a house. David was a man of blood, and the Lord didn't want him to build one. But the Lord said this to him. 
uh, he said, instead of accepting his desired gift, the Lord made a promise to David. So we'll start in 2 Samuel 7, starting in verse 12. 2 Samuel 7, starting in verse 12, the Lord said this to David. He said, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. And at this particular point in time, this is going to be Solomon, David's son. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And I will build and I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And when he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men, but my steadfast love will not depart from him. As I took from Saul, who I put away from before you. And then he says this in, in verse 16. This is what we really need to know. He says, And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. That's what he tells David. And this is known as the Davidic covenant. It is God's promise to David that someone from his family's bloodline would always be on the throne. In this case, uh, the, this was going to lead to the Messiah. Satan's head crusher would come from David's bloodline. And David's son, as we said, Solomon followed him on the throne next after David passed away. But Solomon started to worship idols and foreign gods, and the Lord split the kingdom of Israel into two parts, the northern kingdom being the nation of Israel itself, and then the southern kingdom being a part of Israel, but Judah. So about five-sixths of David's kingdom was broken off, but God kept his promise in the fact that he was still, his, his bloodline would still be on the throne of part of Israel, even through their disobedience. And there's a lot more that could be said about the Davidic covenant, but we're not going to say it today because I just wanted to get us up to speed of where Isaiah, where this puts us with Isaiah chapter 7. The Davidic covenant was given, and the Lord kept his promise. He kept his promise. Now, now we come to Ahaz, the king of Judah, Ahaz. And we'll see him being spoken of a lot here in Isaiah chapter 7. So open up your Bible to Isaiah 7. And we're going to read in our passage today verses 10 through 17. Starting in verse 10. In the, again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men, that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And he shall eat curds and honey when he knows when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring 
upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house. Such days have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. <clears throat> Let's bow in prayer as we get ready to speak about this passage. Heavenly Father, Lord God Almighty, we just thank you, Lord, for today. We thank you, Father, for um, this message that you've given me this morning. I pray, God, that I preach it well for you, Lord. And I just pray, God, that you would use this to help us to see how you were at work throughout all of your word, Lord, to bring about the promise of the head crusher, that the Messiah, Jesus Christ, would come. And as we look at this passage in Isaiah, Lord, I hope that we see that you are a promise keeper. You're a God who keeps his word. And we can have faith and trust in that, Lord, to know that. And Lord, I just pray again that you speak through me this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So who is Ahaz then? Who is this king that God just spoke this to? Well, we read about him in 2 Chronicles 28 and also in 2 Kings 16. And we don't have time to read those entire passages today, so that is your homework to go back home and read 2 Chronicles 28 and 2 Kings 16. But these passages tell us that Ahaz was an evil king. He had no regard for the Lord and his laws. And according to both passages, he sacrificed his own sons. And he lied with the king of Assyria, and he defiled the Jewish temple. He practiced idol worship, and he was just a plain nasty dude. He copied the altar of the pagan king of Assyria, and he made one just like it. And he put it in the temple, the Jewish temple, and he began to perform sacrifices to the Assyrian pagan gods instead of Yahweh. He was a bad, bad king. Keep that in mind as we go forward. In our first section, we're going to look at this first part in Isaiah 7, 10 through 12. And it's that the Lord is asking Ahaz to plead with him for a sign. And again, it's starting in verse 10. He says, again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask for a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. I mean, he could have asked for anything. He could have asked for any sign at all. It was an open invitation to ask the Lord for anything. But in verse 12, Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. <clears throat> Despite Ahaz's blatant disrespect of Yahweh, Yahweh gives Ahaz a chance to ask him for anything. But he refuses. He refuses. He thinks in some misconstrued way in his mind that Refusing actually shows more faith and respect than actually obe being obedient to the Lord, which he has never been obedient to the Lord. But let's reread verse 11 just and pay close attention to what the Lord tells Ahaz. Verse 11, he says, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. The Lord reminds Ahaz that he is, in fact, Ahaz's God. He is Ahaz's God, not those pagan gods that he has been worshiping. 
and sacrificing to. It reminds us in our day today that the Lord Yahweh, our God, Jesus Christ, is our God. Our God that we need to worship to. Not idols that get in our way. Not money, pleasure, football. Even our own kids can sometimes become idols. Only God, only our triune God is the God that we must worship alone. So the Lord is speaking directly to Ahaz, and Ahaz's refusal to ask for a sign does not stop the Lord from providing one. And it is a sign for the ages. It is a sign of the coming of the head crusher, the Messiah. And the sign is given. This is our second point. Isaiah 7, 13 through 17. Let's read that again. And he says, he, Isaiah said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. And this is the sign. This is what we sang about in O come, O come, Emmanuel. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And he shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to, choose, how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. And the Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. The ESV actually makes that a lot harder to understand than it needs to be. But, in, uh, but we'll break it out and we'll make it more understandable as we go. In verse 13, Isaiah addresses the house of David. Remember the Davidic covenant that we talked about, right? This is important, that the promise of the Messiah would come through David's line. And then he addresses Ahaz directly, mocking him and saying that he has just been a bore to the people. And not only a bore to the people, but also to the Lord. He has tested his patience. And then in verses 14 through 16, Isaiah states God's sign. And in verse 17, Ahaz's fate and the fate of the southern kingdom of Judah. And we know what the sign is. We, the sign is, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. So the two obvious questions that come to mind, at least to my mind through this, is what in the world was Isaiah saying to Ahaz? And what does this mean to us, if anything? So let's break this down. The first question we'll deal with here, and then the second question will be its own section, and it's going to be a long section. That's the fun section, okay? <clears throat> the first one is, is what was Isaiah saying to Ahaz, this evil king? Now, he starts out, he starts out, and he says, listen, hear me when I say this. What I'm telling you is important. You need to pay attention. That the virgin shall, con the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name, Emmanuel. Now, Hebrew names mean something, especially in the Old Testament. They were significant. And in this case, as we know, Emmanuel means God is with us. God is with us. 
Isaiah is saying to Ahaz in his context that despite you trying not only to try the patience of the people, but to try the patience of the Lord, I am going to give you a sign. And this virgin will become pregnant and will give birth to a boy, and he will be Emmanuel. Because of Ahaz and his unfaithfulness, and we see that in verses uh, 14 through 17, that <clears throat> this boy is going to be eating curds and honey. In other words, yogurt and honey is what he's going to be living on. Because of Ahaz and his unfaithfulness, now Emmanuel is going to be born into human poverty. And we'll see this in a minute in the fulfillment of this prophecy. The people will be poor. And the land of abundance that the Lord had given him was now going to become barren and full of thorns and thistles. There are going to be patches of weeds and thorns. And then in verse 17, the Lord tells Ahaz through Isaiah that the king of Assyria, whom he is trying to ally with and looks up to so much that he will deny Yahweh and worship the Assyrian gods, will come and he will overtake Ahaz and the kingdom of Judah. The southern kingdom will fall to the Assyrians. Disaster will come upon Ahaz, and it did, as both kingdoms ended up in exile. In the next couple of weeks, we'll see more of what happens to Ahaz and to Judah, but that's what I wanted to get us to today. So make sure that not only do you read 2 Chronicles 28 and 2 Kings 16, but that you also read the first 11 chapters of Isaiah to bring you up to speed. So, we have gotten the background information we need to understand what happened when Isaiah was a prophet, when he was alive. And we have traced the coming of the head crusher, the Messiah the Lord had promised, from Genesis to 2 Chronicles and now through Isaiah chapter 7. We learned that Ahaz was a horrible king, disregarded the Lord and followed idols. He sought the favor of a rival king instead of the king of kings and lord of lords. And now he and the people of Judah will pay the price. The Lord has brought about a promise. Though the coming of the boy king giving birth by a young virgin. What does this promise of a king, the Messiah, the head crusher, mean to us in the 21st century? What, what does this have to do with us? And how can we live in the light of this promise? This is part of the message that, I, as I said, I'm most excited about. This promise, it means everything. It means more than anything. This promise changed the world. Now, let's jump ahead about 600 years to the time of Matthew and Luke. And look at what does this mean to us. The sign has come. And as Jeannie read these verses in Matthew 1, 21 through 23 earlier, <clears throat> but before we get there, I want us to look at the genealogy of Jesus here. Because I was talking with Jane earlier in Sunday school this morning, and sometimes we kind of just forget about the genealogies, and we don't look at them. But the genealogies are important. They're important. So let's, let's read part of 
Jesus' genealogy in Matthew 1, 6 through 9. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah. Now, this is interesting. If you just listen to that, you'll notice that in spite of the fact that Ahaz was just the most treacherous king of all time, very, very bad, very unfaithful, but despite that, God has him here in the line of Christ, in the line of the Messiah. Why? Why would God do such a thing? He did it because of the Davidic covenant that we talked about earlier. The Lord promised David that someone from his bloodline would always sit on the throne, and Ahaz was a king in Judah. And God kept his promise because God is a promise keeper. He is bigger than any of us. And his promises matter. And we can live and never doubt his promises because they will always come true. And now that we saw that, let's look again at the greatest promise of all. Now Joseph's betrothed to Mary, as we know. And this is a very familiar account, so for many of us, I'm not going to tell you much that you don't already know, but these are things that we need to look at in light of what we've already learned this morning. Mary is found to be pregnant, but not by Joseph. And a scandal will break out of this if it gets to the gossip channels. Can you imagine if social media were around during this time, how quick this would make it to X, which used to be Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and everything. Joseph is trying to determine the best that he can what the angel did, what the angel said, and it visited him in a dream and tells him not to worry about Mary, that she is pregnant with a child and this child was conceived by the Holy Spirit, that Mary is carrying the promised head crusher, the Messiah, Jesus, the Son of God. Let's reread verses 21 through 23. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all of this took place, what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, as we know as Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. You see, here in Matthew, we read that the angel explained to Joseph in a dream that the sign given to Isaiah so many years before, now in a conversation with the crooked king Ahaz, who was found in the lineage of Jesus Christ earlier in Matthew, is going to be fulfilled. In his wife-to-be. Can you imagine? Put yourself in Joseph's position and try to determine what you think he would, his reaction would be. How was the child in Mary's womb 
going to change the universe and bring about hope and the forgiveness of sins. But this is the great news. Jesus is the one who's going to make everything new. I'm still dealing with a cold, so I apologize. Let's look into the theology and the implications of the sign that, that was about to come true. We'll look at, now if you turn your Bibles, we're going to be looking, we're going to spend some time in John. So John 1, 1 through 5. Some of the most beautiful and powerful verses in the Bible. Many of you may have this memorized. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The word that John is referring to, of course, is Jesus Christ, the head crusher, Emmanuel, God with us. Think about what it means that Mary is carrying the word of God, who was with God in the beginning and is himself God. That Jesus in her womb is the light of all mankind, the enemy of the darkness. In Jesus is life. He is the one, the creator, the king of kings and lord of lords. How can this be? How can God enter into Mary's womb to grow and develop his human body just like you and I did and still be in control of the universe? How could that possibly be? It's because Jesus has two natures. <clears throat> you might have heard us talk about this before. He is entirely man, and at the same time, he is entirely God. This is known as the hypostatic union, that these two natures of Jesus are distinct and yet equal. They're equal to each other, and he is never not one and not the other. In fact, he is always fully human and fully God all the time. Now, this mind-blowing fact is that while he is in the womb growing his human body, he is still in command of the universe. Think about that. Have you ever thought about that? While he's in the womb, he is still commanding the stars. It's mind-blowing to think about. And John continues this in verse 14 of John chapter 1. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John writes that the Word of God Himself, and He became the, the Word of God, the Word is God Himself. I'm sorry, is the Word is God Himself, and He became flesh and He dwelt among us. And the apostles and those who were around when He was alive are eyewitnesses to this. They have seen Jesus' glory the glory of the coming of Emmanuel, 
the Son, the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's read what John's testimony was in 1 John 1, 1 through 2. He says this, he says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father. It was made manifest to us. John saw Jesus. He heard Jesus. <clears throat> he touched Jesus, the Creator God, the Messiah, the Head Crusher, dwelled with His people. And no one can dispute John's interaction with the king. Now this is not just a good story that we can describe and retell like a fairy tale. This is the head crusher of Satan, the hope of the universe. Jesus is the one everyone has been looking for, the Messiah. Now, we have to understand that he needed to be fully human in a human body to suffer and die just like we do. His humanity died on the cross for us. His human nature shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. And he had to be fully God because only God could be sinless and pure and holy to be able to be the perfect Passover lamb to take our sins upon himself and suffer our punishment by taking his father's wrath instead of us in his substitutionary atonement, his life for ours. His deity, understand, didn't die on the cross, but his humanity did. This had to be so that you and I would have hope it's hard for us to fathom and grasp the reality and how it can be so because there really isn't a great explanation to fully satisfy how this could be. It takes faith. It takes faith to believe that this promise that the Lord proclaimed in Isaiah chapter 7 came true. Listen to what one scholar wrote in the Dictionary of Jesus and the Gospels regarding Jesus' incarnation, is coming to earth. <clears throat> this is really amazing. When God becomes mortal, when eternity enters time, and when the creator enters the creation, the categories of reality are shattered. Such a phenomenon cannot be systematically explained. It can't be. It makes no human sense. But that's the point. Because God is, is, is God. And he can do anything he wants. And he did this. He brought Christ, the head crusher that he promised, in a way that could have only been done by him. So that there would be no dispute that it was him that Jesus is the one. John writes in 
in John 1, 9 through 13, he says this. He says, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, but his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood or the will of flesh or the will of men, but of God. Do you understand the significance of what John is saying there? Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the head crusher, came to be perfect, and his pure light came into the world, and he is the creator of this world, but his people rejected him. But now he has come, and for everyone who believes in his promises and places their salvation in his hands alone, you become his child. When you repent and turn from your sinful ways and turn to him and put your life into his loving arms, your salvation, you become born again, not of flesh, but by the Spirit, transformed and made new. Emmanuel, God, is with us. And if you are a Christian, if you have placed your faith in Christ, his spirit lives in you, and God is always with you. Isn't that amazing to think about? Emmanuel living in you. Have you placed your faith in Jesus? If you haven't, today would be the great day to do that. If you have never committed yourself to him, if you have never made him Lord and Savior, today would be the day. The Lord may be calling you out of your sins today into his perfect light. And if he is, I pray that you would come to Jesus. That's why he came, to save his people from the sins. And if you've walked away from your faith, now is the time for you to repent and return to him. He is waiting for you. He didn't turn away from you. You turned away from him. And he wants you to return. And for those of us who are in a good place with the Lord, that everything is going great in your faith, then hallelujah. Let us rejoice. Your king has come. The promise has been fulfilled. And live free from your past. And live for him today. Serve him and witness for him. Pray to him. Read about him. Learn about him. Understand him more. It is a privilege. It is not a burden. God is with us for eternity. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we just come before you, Lord, and we just thank you, God, for your good word, the promise that you gave Isaiah, Lord. We thank you so much that you, the head crusher, has come. Emmanuel, God with us. As mind-blowing as that truth is, Lord, it is true. You kept your promise. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
And if we put our faith and trust in you, Lord, your spirit lives in us forever. Father God, I pray that if someone here this morning doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, that they would put their faith and trust in you and what you did on the cross for us, Lord. And as we go through these next few weeks and learn more about you, Lord, until we get to that point where you went to the cross and we talk about that, Father God, I pray, I pray, God, that we would learn to love you more, to understand you more, to see that your entire word is so important for us to understand. Even the genealogies and the hard parts. We just praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.